Hello and welcome to Housewives and Me, a podcast about why we love the real housewives. I'm your host, Connor Bean, and welcome back for another episode. For an episode I am so excited to finally have in your ears. I have been beavering away on this one for a little while and hoping it would come together and we'd work out schedules and get it all sorted. Because, you know, with interviews, sometimes things can happen. You have to move around, choppy changey. But we got this one through and I couldn't be happier. Obviously, today's guest is the one and only Elizabeth Day of the amazing podcast, How to Fail. She's a writer, a novelist, a journalist. You've probably read her pieces. She is a big fan of The Real Housewives. I think some people may know that, but now... Hopefully more people will know that because, you know, we Real Housewives fans, we have to find each other. You know, it's like a secret language that they all speak. So I'm always down to have a chat with anyone who's a a fan of the Real Housewives. So without any further ado, because I don't feel like Dilly Italian, me and Elizabeth got into so much stuff. I think it's only right that we get straight to it. So here is Elizabeth Day on Housewives and Me. My guest today is a writer, journalist and podcaster. Of course, you will know her amazing and very successful podcast, How to Fail, with guests like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, Jessie Ware, Ireland's own Marion Keys. If you're a Housewives fan and you haven't heard the episode with Samantha Irby, run, don't walk after you listen to this and check that one out. She's also the author of books like How to Fail and Philosophy, which came out last year. As a novelist, she has written books like The Party and Paradise City. And in September, releases a brand new, highly anticipated novel, Magpie. And you may know this if you've paid attention to her work over the years. She's also a massive fan of The Real Housewives. So it brings me great joy to say this morning, today even, Elizabeth Day, welcome to Housewives and Me. Connor, I'm so excited. I can barely contain myself. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Oh, you're welcome. I was a little bit nervous because I love on How to Fail. You do these brilliant, like really like thorough research introductions. And I was like, we have so much Housewives to discuss. I actually don't have time for a big intro. I was like, I've got to weigh this up here. <laughs> Just do a couple of sentences, then we're in. No, I really yes. appreciate that. And also you got every single fact right. And I love that you listened to the Samantha Irby interview on How to Fail because... She, again, she's one of those people, I haven't met her yet because we recorded that episode in lockdown, but I feel like she's now one of my closest friends because we bonded over housewives. And I just think that that is the best way to meet kindred spirits. (laughs) It really is. And I have been saying that almost every time I chat to someone, how it's like an instant, I guess, particularly over here, because not everybody watches it because it's kind of an American thing. It's a real, if you know, you know, kind of thing where you're like, you and I, we we agree on this at least. Exactly. I, I almost would go so far as to say that I'm not sure I would trust anyone who having watched Real Housewives said, mm, it's not really for me. I don't really get it. <laughs> like I understand people who think it's one thing and therefore have never watched it because they yeah. don't think they'll be into it. But if you've watched it and then thought, oh, no, I don't like that, then I'm afraid we're never going to be friends. There, I've put it out there. <laughs> I'm curious then because, I mean, I was, I actually read a piece, like I've read stuff you've written about Housewives from over the years. So like you've been into these shows for a while. How did you get into Housewives? What was the thing that got you into it in the first place? Well, thank you for acknowledging that because I really have been flying the flag since way back when. And I, the reason I got into it is because I started working for the Observer newspaper here in the UK, which is Sunday newspaper, as a feature writer at the age of 29. And it was a halcyon era in journalism where we got to travel loads. And I was being sent to America a lot to do interviews and features. And whenever I went to America, 
I would turn on the TV in the hotel room and there would always be an episode of Real Housewives and or Top Chef, but generally Real Housewives. And at that stage, it wasn't being played on UK television. So I was like, what is this magnificence? And I started looking forward to my trips to America so much because I knew I would catch up on these shows. And then a few years after that, I realized that past series were being played on ITVB, which is, I don't know, is it a terrestrial channel? I'm so rubbish at this kind of stuff. But it was like where ITV put all of their trash <laughs> and they were playing. All of their of, great stuff. Don't oh, say exactly. trash. <gasps> well, no, well, I was about to say what most people would label as trash, but they would be mm-hmm. wrong. Because yes. on ITVB, there were the, this, it was this treasure chest of old seasons, The Real Housewives of New York and New Jersey. I got really into them and I was still at The Observer and I was writing like very serious features about people who were in prison um, under a wrongful charge and uh, the political scoops of the day. And I went to my editor and pitched a piece about The Real Housewives. I was like, listen, you guys need to get on this because it's huge. It's going to be huge. <laughs> and it was essentially a, a way of me getting to interview loads of Real Housewives. So you will probably know the date if you've read it, but I, I can't remember what date it was. I think it must have been about 2010, like t- even 10 years ago. As in when you wrote the piece or when yes. the show started? When I wrote the piece. This is my nerdy researcher how comes on. So there is a piece from 2014 where you interviewed Scott Dunlop who That's created it. The Housewives and you got to chat to Lisa Vanderpump. And I actually read it a few years ago because you were on the podcast Bitch Sesh and I was like, yes. you were like, I've written, I interviewed Scott Dunlop. Whoever listening, Google it. And I'm not joking. Back in 2017, I went, I am Googling Elizabeth Day, Scott Dunlop at the time. <laughs> so I was rereading it this week in preparation. So yeah, you did an interest. you did a really great piece actually, which you should Google Scott Dunlop, Elizabeth Day, because it is like you kind of go into how the shows came together and how the format started one way and led to another creation. And even from 2014, there's still so much in it that applies to Housewives now. So what was it like writing that piece? Well, I loved writing that piece because I did get access to all of these incredible people. So Scott Dunlop, who created the show, as you say, and it was very interesting talking to him because he said... I actually created it as a fly-on-the-wall documentary of this gated community in OC. OC was the original franchise. And he had quite serious sort of documentary aspirations for it. And he was like, that's what we did. That's what we filmed. That's what we put in the can. And then it sat on a shelf for ages and nothing happened with it. And then this genius junior producer discovered the footage and realized that there was a way of using it that might be more engaging than just a straightforward documentary. And that producer was Andy Cohen. And he managed to sort of put together all of these elements and make it into an early iteration of The Real Housewives. And that's how Andy Cohen got involved. So he's been there from day one. Mm -hmm. And then I got to interview Lisa Vanderpump, as you say, who was just like, super chilled and it was at that stage that she'd just fallen out with brandy and i got to interview heather dubrow and then one for the hardcore fans i got to interview Catherine from the real housewives of dc which only ever ran for one season even though i think it's a classic (laughs) because that's that season ends with like one of the housewives gate crashing a state dinner at the white house like you cannot ask for more than that so I loved writing that piece. I think everyone at The Observer thought I was absolutely do-lally. 
but they did print it and um and and that's really like my marker in the sand for when I got massively into the real housewives so you're that's so interesting so you saw I guess it's interesting that you saw it happen on the ground if you will in America like on Bravo and you got into New York and OC which are kind of two of the I guess the early shows in the franchise there's an article you wrote in 2019 for your You magazine column where you kind of went into more detail about your love for the shows and how like you mentioned earlier some people write them off but actually there's more to them than people realize how you've related to moments from the show over the years what is it about Housewives that you love is it that you relate to it is it so removed from your experience that you just love watching it what is the appeal for you I think it starts with seeing a group of women interact and the point that I made in that column which I still firmly believe is that Housewives is so much better than most scripted drama on TV because you get these extraordinary real intimate interactions between women and it doesn't really matter that their backgrounds aren't similar to mine or that the setups are unrelatable or that they do have fortunes of millions of dollars because when you get groups of women together the kind of things that they're going to be talking about or arguing about are so relatable. So there's that. And there's also the fact that you barely ever see women over 50 being allowed to be their fabulous selves on TV. So The Real Housewives of New York, which is my favorite franchise, I genuinely believe is a pioneering piece of television. There are women on that show in their 50s and maybe even... 60s yeah Ramona's in her 60s now which is wild yeah and and they are we are shown them in all their multifaceted complexity going out on dates sending their children to college having to rediscover themselves post-divorce and I find that fascinating and also just a really important thing for people to see so that's why I love them and also you mentioned that I was a novelist and I really genuinely do find a lot of inspiration from watching these shows because the kinds of storylines you get. Beverly Hills had a whole season where there was this tiny kernel of a row over a rescue dog and what happened to it and it spiraled (laughs) to last the entire season and broke up friendships and all sorts and I, I find that really compelling viewing because it makes you realize how humans can take something and run with it and it's never about the original thing it's always about how someone feels about it and that it's taught me so much about human behavior and about dialogue and it's also to be honest like to be sincere even more sincere for a moment it was (laughs) the the real housewives had provided this forum for talking about things that don't often get a lot of airplay. So for instance, it was one of the first places that I saw my own experiences of IVF reflected. Megan King Edmonds went through it on OC and literally Mm -hmm. used The Real Housewives as a kind of video diary of her experience. And I wasn't seeing that anywhere else. I wasn't seeing that on a sitcom. I wasn't seeing that on a Netflix drama. And, And that was really important for me. So I think it kind of makes a lot of women feel less alone. And also it's just fantastic entertainment because because so many of these women are incredibly extra (laughs) and they do act in ways that I don't necessarily agree with but it's always always 
fascinating and hilarious to watch i agree and i don't think i could have said it any better myself you mentioned kind of earlier like you you know when it appeared on itvb which is quote unquote where they put the trash or like the kind of guilty pleasure stuff and that term i think always comes up around housewives particularly for people who are maybe a little bit embarrassed that they're as invested as they are when you hear people say terms like guilty pleasure for housewives or just in general do you kind of go look i get it or you like stop saying that stuff that women enjoy is a guilty pleasure i wonder how you feel about that term Definitely the latter. I mean, I don't get angry about it, but I do, I firmly believe that there is no such thing as a guilty pleasure. There's just pleasure. And I also really believe as someone who is a creator, you need to get your inspiration from everywhere. There is no such thing as high brown, low brown. There's no such thing as good or bad. It is about where you get your inspiration and your stimulation. And genuinely, I don't know about you, Connor, but I don't know what I would have done this last year, living through a global pandemic in lockdown without Housewives and without a lot of reality TV content, because I find I don't want to watch, I don't massively have the inclination to watch worthy movies at the moment. There's only so much that I can kind of put up with. I don't hugely want to like get into the new must watch Netflix drama because it feels like the life we're living is beyond drama and so I want to watch something that is reality but a heightened form of reality where a producer still has a hand and is crafting this kind of narrative and shape and that for me has been housewives they have been my real companions because no I think this is the key no matter what the setup is and no matter how many producers are involved, the interactions you see will always at some point be fully real. And there's something about that that appeals to me. There's a real integrity in that, actually. There's a real truthfulness to that kind of storytelling. So no, it's not a guilty pleasure at all. It is intellectual and anthropological stimulation of the highest order. You heard it from me. <laughs> <laughs> I am now going to be like, my podcast is about intellectual and anthropological. <laughs> I can't even say it. <laughs> I'm going to at least start using that when I describe the show. <laughs> um, I know I love that and I totally agree. And actually, I think you hit on something there that I love about the way Housewives uses the reality TV format in the, in that you're right, there's absolutely setups in production. Like, we know there'll be a trip. We know that, you know, the finale would be some kind of party or celebration or and the reunion goes this way. But then it is that layer on top of, even if everyone is there for a setup produced lunch or dinner, you know that how the people interact in the moment will be real. And I like the fact that you sort of know roughly where it's going to go. So there's a comfort of, this isn't going to be so out there that I can't, you know, switch off if I need to. But also there's always a surprise element because maybe someone has a fight you don't expect or two long-term friends fall out. So I I think you've nailed it. It's the mix of comfort, but also surprise. Yeah, and it's also genuinely taught me about boundaries and standing up for myself. Because very often you'll see a housewife who feels a negative way towards another housewife. And she will clearly be encouraged by other cast members or maybe by producers behind the scene to raise the issue with her friend. Now, in my life, I'm so conflict avoidant that the idea of doing that essentially corrodes my insides with cringe. But but watching (laughs) other women do that and watching how, like Lisa Rinna famously says, I own it. Like watching Mm -hmm. how important it is to own something has been really uh, enlightening for me. I'm like, yeah, actually, so much time is wasted by not expressing how you feel. And it sort of taught me that. And I know I'm talking about it in a very sort of serious way. 
I, don't get me wrong, it is also hilarious. And it's and it's also taught me about how not to behave. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, for um, sure. Yes. But yeah, I just, I just, I love these women. And I think also the fact that um, the term, that the term housewife obviously has certain connotations. And I know that a lot of people are put off because it seems so sexist and reductive. But I just want to say that that is used in a wholly ironic way. Like these women are very impressive in multiple ways. Like many of them run multi-million pound businesses. I mean, look at Bethany Frankel on New York. She's yeah. taken reality television and made an empire out of it. And uh, I think that some of them can be very impressive. And Dr. Wendy from Potomac, who's got four degrees. And uh, I was on Newsnight this week. I was like, Dr. Stop. Wendy was is she? getting gigs. She was. So they did, I think it was maybe Monday or Tuesday night, because obviously the Harry and Meghan interview aired kind of like the, sort of the day after the US. So Dr. Wendy was on, Emma DeBerry, who's an Irish uh, writer, some yes. people might know as well. You can't They're both on the same panel. And actually, I fu- uh, yes. So Emma was on, and it's so funny, she shared the clip of, her part of the segment um, on her Instagram. And of course, Emma DeBerry is a genius. It was so eloquent and interesting. And like, she covered so much ground in just two and a half minutes. Only way Emma can. But whatever way she clipped the video, the very first frame is a brief flash of Dr. Wendy. And I was like, this is like me having a a dream about Housewives Potomac and then watching the news. I was like, this is such a weird clash of two separate worlds. I loved it. I was like, Dr. Wendy is everywhere. You know, she commented on my Instagram post the other day. I was extremely excited. <laughs> Your International Women's Day Instagram, because yes. I did want to ask you about that. So, for the because we're probably putting this a little bit after International Women's Day, but you you said. Um, I think you, the first post you did a two like picture post in your grid the first was a quote from Michelle Obama and you kind of joked I know it's based to do that but happy International Women's Day swipe to see the women who inspired me and we swiped and we saw a grid of I'm what assuming is some of your favourite Real Housewives yeah. probably about nine or ten faces wasn't there? There were nine and I really yeah I had to think carefully about who I was going to include but they are my favourites. So Dr. Wendy commented, is that what you said? Yes. So Dr. Wendy was on the grid, as was Meredith Marks um, mm-hmm. from Salt Lake City. Meredith and I follow each other because, <gasps> Mer- I know. <laughs> and so does, <gasps> and Seth and I, her husband <laughs> Seth and I also follow each other. Um, because oh when, when Salt Lake City first aired, and I instantly, like everyone else, became obsessed with it. Um, mm-hmm. Someone on Instagram paid me one of the best compliments ever and said I looked like Meredith Marks who I just think is staggering. Oh god you kind of you do. Oh, you can fact, see that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I really don't right now but luckily this is audio only. Um, <laughs> yeah we can't see each other. <laughs> and I commented saying oh my goodness I'm so flattered thank you and then Meredith replied saying I'm hugely flattered too you're a beauty and I was like oh my gosh I love you and I think it's because oh it was the start of the season so uh, no one knew what way it was going and the housewives didn't have that many followers so maybe she had time <laughs> to reply to individual comments yes. so we started following each other so basically I posted on it's International Women's Day and it was tongue-in-cheek and I said these are the nine women who've inspired these are the nine international <laughs> women who've kept me entertained um, and Meredith was on there as was Dr. Wendy as was Bethany Frankel and I got into a bit of trouble for that because Bethany then came out and tweeted something ridiculous about the Harry and Meghan interview. Yes, she'd a bit of... Like, my point is, I don't agree. It's not like I agree with everything that they say. I absolutely don't. But I just, I've been entertained by them. Um, Anyway, uh, Wendy, it was the first time she just commented a a day later because obviously she's been busy doing Newsnight appearances saying (laughs) something like thank you for this it's so sweet 
that and I was like oh my god Wendy I love you you're amazing thank you so I literally I replied saying thank you for your be- <laughs> don't laugh thank you for your beauty and brains <laughs> and thank you for introducing us to the slither because if you watch Potomac you know that she walks in a certain way that is called the slither <laughs> So yes, that was the highlight of my week last week. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I was going to ask you a little bit later on, but might as well just dive into it now. Have you had any, I mean, I feel like for people on this side of the world, our housewives run-ins tend to be more on social media. Like, and I know you interviewed Lisa Vanderpump, which you mentioned earlier. So have you had many interactions or run-ins with housewives in general? No, I actually haven't in general. It's only started relatively recently. And perhaps it's because... I've been lucky enough to generate a certain Instagram following through How to Fail. And so I think if they see someone with a blue tick comment, they may be more inclined to think, okay, this person isn't going to be a crazy stalker. Uh, But so it's only happened relatively recently and it's only been Meredith. Seth, <laughs> who I, I love that you got Seth as well. That's so Seth funny. is hilarious. I've got a lot of time for Seth. His account is actually locked. I don't know if he's changed it, but he's he's sort of rebranding himself as a kind of motivational guru, but one oh, who swears. That... So it'll be like, get okay. the fuck out of bed this morning. <laughs> it's like, yes, sir. <laughs> I, I, I got into that actually. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know if you saw when. Um... When when Salt Lake City was sort of kicking off, and you mentioned they were obviously all growing their followings, but Meredith would post a picture of her and Seth, and you click the tag, she might have maybe tagged her jewelry company if it was her earrings or maybe the brand she's wearing, but the tag for Seth would always be like, don't even try it. His account is private. It was always like a play on, no, ladies, stay away from my man's account. So I love that you got in just before the cutoff. You were like, I follow both. <laughs> That could be season two storyline. Maybe Seth's motivational speaker story is a storyline or something. You're getting the insider goss now. I mean, you heard it here first. You did. Yeah. <laughs> we are, but actually, we are breaking news. I've been trying to get Lisa Vanderpump on the podcast because she's launching a new thing called Overserved with yes. Lisa Vanderpump. Um, and uh, we haven't been able to make schedules work, but I'm on it. I'm hot on the case because the other thing that's happened during lockdown is that my other half, who isn't in, into reality TV at all, I've managed to get him into <laughs> Below Deck and Vanderpump Rules. And the uh, reason he loves both of those is because he loves Captain Me on Below Deck and he loves Lisa Vanderpump. He thinks he's, she's really impressive, which she is. Um, and obviously she's British as well. So uh, I'm trying to get her. I was actually going to ask you about that. Like, I was going to ask if there's anyone you would from Housewives you'd love to have on How to Fail. And also because how to fail is a show with a stellar guest list and also you get people to kind of talk about really personal stuff so is there anything that you think individual real housewives or the show in general can kind of teach us about failure because that's something that your podcast obviously delves into in depth definitely i mean i think if you look at the arc of many of the seasons there's always someone who will claim to have got a bad edit or who will be roundly condemned on social media or criticised by her fellow cast members in a, in a very aggressive way sometimes. And being able to deal with that and being able to understand that perception is not always fact is, I believe, the key to a greater kind of enlightenment. So to talk to someone like, I mean, Potomac had a, had a stellar season but mm-hmm. to talk to Candice about her fight with Monique and 
how that went down and how that you saw on the reunion it genuinely affected both women and particularly Candice Mm -hmm. who sort of had to deal with a lot of things from her past and her relationship with her mother they these women put it out there and in putting it out there I believe that's not only an act of generosity but it's also an act of self-knowledge it's it's kind of understanding yourself through the prism of how you're presented or how you come across on TV. And so I think that they would have loads of really interesting things to say about failure and resilience and how to fully know who you really are when the cameras have stopped rolling. Because I think it's always very interesting when you get a new housewife and then you see their trajectory as they become more savvy as to how it works (laughs) and and quite sure yeah and quite often new housewives have a very bumpy first season for that reason because they're just not really aware and so yeah I mean I think they'd have loads to say and it's funny too that you mentioned that because I do think with reality TV stars in general, particularly on Housewives, the first season they go in and film whatever, six, seven, eight months with these new people and they do their interviews and all that stuff. But then once the show starts airing, they have to watch the show so that they can do press about it, so that they can do social media. And for the reunion, they have to have watched the season. So mm. it is funny how it's one of those shows where they you, you have to start, as you say, perceiving yourself and seeing how you come across. And it always changes how they come across in second season, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. But it is always like even, for example, we mentioned Housewives in New York earlier. And last season, Leah had an amazing first season and won over so many and was like just surrounded by praise. And now I'm like, there have been some rumors that she's not the same this season. I'm like, who knows? But invariably she had just spent a year watching herself and being told she's amazing there's no way that's not going to impact how she is on the next season she does totally she had i think the best first season of any housewife ever she just fit in both seamlessly but also she there was a tangible difference between her and the other real housewives of new york and the other person that i'm worried about is heather from salt lake (laughs) city who yes I just felt like at the reunion, I wasn't digging her because during the season, she'd been so vulnerable and open about her vulnerability and how she'd had to leave the Mormon church. And and she was an amazing mom with her daughters. And it was just really impressive to see. And she really valued like the realness of her friendship with Jen. And then because she was coming across so well, like Rihanna started DMing her and everyone was like, oh my gosh, Heather's incredible. And at the reunion, I felt that she was getting just slightly too big for her Jimmy Choo's. So it'll be interesting to see what happens next season, as you say, with those women. Because the the other really interesting thing about the setup of the Housewives franchises is the testimonials. Because... Yeah, those testimonials are always by their nature filmed slightly after the event. And that's very interesting psychologically to get someone's take on something that has happened and affected them, but will have happened maybe a couple of months ago and they've had time to reflect on it. And either they've had time to calm down or they've had time to nurture the mother of all grudges. (laughs) And it's always so interesting, (laughs) again, to see that like additional layer of perception. And also the weird thing of like, we know and they know, like 
we're watching like you know if, if we were filming a housewife scene and it was like we're meeting for lunch but you're being interviewed about it two weeks later and you have to pretend i am meeting connor for lunch now and we have to talk about x y and z it's just it must you know it must make you question everything even in the most mundane way because like you learn how to narrate your life i would exactly. imagine i would just see them doing that in their head the whole time then well so that's so interesting because i have had i haven't had a housewife on the podcast yet but i have had various other reality tv alumni including Jamie Lang, who was on Made in Chelsea, actually still is on Made in Chelsea, um, Camilla mm-hmm. Thurlow, who was on Love Island. And the thing that I notice about people who've been on reality TV, particularly if they've been on during a formative decade in their lives, is that they are so self-aware and brilliant at expressing how they feel. Camilla Thurlow gave this extraordinary insight into what it is to live with really difficult levels of anxiety to the extent that I was inundated with emails from people saying I've sent this to my parents so they understand what I'm going through and I think that there is something about that reality tv dynamic where you do have to constantly put things into words that you might not want to in the normal run of life that makes for very self-aware people I mean, I say that and then I look at someone from Teresa from the Real Housewives of New Jersey and I'm like, yes. or you get someone like Teresa who's entirely impenetrable and the le- the least self-aware person I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and in- completely incapable of any self-analysis. I was actually going to ask you about Jersey because, I mean, I this week's episode, and, you know, we don't re- recap specific episodes on the show, but I was kind of inwardly like chuckling to myself. There's a scene in a recent episode where, Teresa wants to sell her longtime home and her friend Michelle, who's kind of a friend of character on the show, comes in and then they cut in this montage of memories of family and friends in the house. And then just cut back to Teresa standing there, like kind of like blankly blinking at her like games room. And I was like, Teresa was not doing a like three, 15 year like flashback. She was like, I want to sell a house. Like, <laughs> totally. She's completely unmoved. She's just like, yeah. The producers are trying their hardest to give her some kind of sense of inward reflection and emotion like being moved by the past no but that's the thing about Teresa I think she's just an animal that lives constantly in the present that's why she can cope with having been married to Joe who basically Mm. through his nefarious financial dealings sent her to prison she was in prison for like was it two years and when she came out her mother had died and her dad was on his last legs and she just copes. She just like carries on trucking. It's extraordinary. And I think it's because she's got, yeah, no, no, she doesn't really seem to want to dwell on anything that isn't right in front of her. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is such a lovely way of putting it. Whereas I've just in previous episodes been like, I just think she's stupid. You're like, she just doesn't dwell on what's been put in front of her. It's much nicer than that way I would phrase it. <laughs> Teresa is funny too because, I mean, they talk with the OGs on Housewives, right? People who have been on since the first season of their respective city and have maybe stayed the course when people have come and gone. There's plenty of sometimes great people who come on and only do one season. And really, I feel like it's Kyle and Teresa are the only ones that have stayed on their respective shows kind of from the beginning. And I'm Ramona. curious how you feel about say... How could you oh, forget Ramo- Ramona? Oh my God, if Ramona hears this, I will be inundated. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> But I guess because like Therese is one one of a, like a handful of remaining OGs and it is really interesting watching her navigate the show with new people because you do get the sense that they're all like, well, Teresa comes first and everybody else is after. Yes. And I, I, I it's very interesting that because I think one of the things that is difficult when you're when you're a life 
you know, you've got a, a life server is that you have to keep making yourself relevant and have to keep coming to the table with interesting storylines. And ultimately, at some point, you must be exhausted by that. And I think I'm not sure how much Teresa has to bring to the party anymore. That sounds really harsh. But I sort of get the sense that she kind of, I read something. It was one of the, it's, you know, Demois on Instagram. Which uh, yes, is, yeah. they did it. Yes, yes, I yeah. know Demois. I'm yes. And it was super interesting because they they had someone who'd obviously worked as part of the crew on New Jersey who said, first of all, Marge is absolute heaven and really lovely and really thoughtful and is always asking whether it's too hot or too cold for someone so that she can change the temperature in her house. Aww. But they also <laughs> said that Teresa is fine, but she just like, she's just kind of, she comes in, she does her work, she doesn't chat, she gets it done, she does the filming, she treats it very much as a job. And there's that sense that maybe she's like coming to a point where she doesn't want to do this anymore because she's been doing it for so long. And I think audiences can sense that. And I think you saw that happen with Vicky Gunvalson, who mm. I was not a Vicky fan at all. Vicky Gunvalson was one of Scott Dunlop's original subjects when he was doing his Fall on the Wall documentary. And she just became increasingly deluded. And I think it was possibly what we've been talking about, that cycle of self-perception and and a, a kind of a growth of realisation that you need to keep things interesting. And her storylines essentially became her like drinking too much tequila and shrieking. And at some <laughs> point, like, I don't want to see that anymore. I just lose yeah. patience with it. So I think... Yeah, like the reason Ramona is so great to watch is that she's so unbelievably unpredictable just in and of herself. You never really know what way she's going to go. And her reactions are things of both astonishment, horror, and occasionally beauty. Like occasionally you see this really sensitive side to her. And I think that's what's needed is a housewife who keeps people guessing. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned the Dumois post because I wasn't going to bring it up too. And for people who maybe... I'm, it feels like everybody follows Dumas, but in case you don't, it's basically blind items and anonymous tidbits sent to this Instagram account. And the story every day is like, it's like mammoth. And I read every single one of them, even the people I don't know who they're talking about. But that person who'd sent in the tip about uh, Jersey mentioned the stuff he said about Teresa kind of being a bit checked out. And they also said production were sort of trying to find a balance of making her kind of the villain of Jersey and keeping her like soft and certain things like, mm-hmm. so you kind of still like her a bit. And they mentioned how they're really keen for her and her current boyfriend who I think she may be engaged to where they're they're hoping she'll get engaged and have a wedding because they see that Teresa needs a new layer to the storytelling and you're right Vicky is a great example like it just became uncomfortable and I think there is a line whatever about the ethics or the morals of the person in particular as a viewer you do kind of go "Mm, it's too much for me now hon you're kind of you're just being mean now you know there is a line that you approach exactly and just because you've been on this show the longest does not make you the most important. I think that's that's something. I mean, that again, talking about the appeal of Housewives, not only do you have the straightforward appeal of watching the show and watching the storylines, you also have the meta appeal of watching the storyline beyond the cameras, beyond what's shown on screen, about what happens to these women in, in real life, like how they respond to this extraordinary experiment that they're all in. So you see the arc of Vicky Gunvalson in real life, 
but you also see it on screen. And there's something about the shifting tension between that, which is completely compelling to me, just because I'm massively nosy, essentially. And then you get amazing podcasts like this, which oh, analyze uh, which <laughs> analyze it all and provide a forum for us to talk about it. So there are all these kind of, it's just so multi-layered. It's such a multi-layered experience. And I love it. Same. Um, I do want to get into some of the current shows that are airing because we've kind of chopped at Jersey there. I mean, are you? I, when I read your piece for You Magazine from a couple of years ago, you did mention Atlanta as one of your favourites and we're in the middle of an Atlanta season that I feel started off very slow and has now hit this rhythm again. I feel like, speaking of villains, Kenya is really enjoying her villain role but does have stuff going on. How do you feel about Atlanta at the moment? I feel like post Strippergate and Bolo and the Charlotte trip, we, we, we're, in a, we're in a good Atlanta season again, finally. Yeah, Atlanta's had a rough patch. I... It, it lost me. I mean, obviously, I've watched every single episode. Don't get me wrong, but it's, I felt like its <laughs> sweet spot was way back when we had Nini and Sheree, Joggers by Sheree, um, and yes. E Kim, Zosiak, um, and all of that crew, and Candy Burris, who's just amazing. Again, because I love that bit at the beginning of a franchise when everyone's quite innocent about what they're getting into, and you see the sort of unfiltered eccentricity of people and then Nini just totally lost me because of everything that we've just been talking about just like got it got too big like she got too big for the show and now I'm not sure how much I like the new women in Atlanta this season so I like Drew but I'm not sure that she's a great housewife I find Latoya just she's just trying way too hard she's just too thirsty for my likes and then the others I I'm enjoying their dynamic and yes the bachelorette was extraordinary I mean oh my gosh just the vision of Bolo with his (laughs) huge tongue (laughs) oh a misdirect (laughs) that that vision of like it would always live in my head him just kind of swirling his tongue around just beneath his his face shield it was just so (laughs) yes this is covid in an image wasn't it i was like i am watching this athletic male stripper on a reality tv series sexually lick his face shield because we're still in a global pandemic truly a vision i know it's just sign of our times but what i love about atlanta (laughs) is the evolution of portia oh my goodness yeah from someone when we first met her, who was essentially in what seemed to me to be an emotionally coercive marriage, basically had no voice whatsoever, to the woman we seen, to someone who her grandfather was a civil rights activist, but she didn't know what the Underground Railroad was. She thought it was a real thing. And now she mm. has found her activism through Black Lives Matter. To see her on the streets protesting on behalf of Breonna Taylor has been a really beautiful thing to witness and is yet another example of how The Real Housewives tackles very real political issues in America today. It's such an interesting window onto what's happening from someone who's actually there and not only that but who is deeply affected by what's happening so I'm I'm loving watching it for the evolution of Portia Candy is just magnificent and I also really enjoy Candy's family dynamic because her children are are just beyond cute and Ace is starting to speak and is getting his own confessionals (laughs) Yes, I'm loving that. And also, uh, Kenya Moore is just one of my favourite of all time. So I will definitely watch any season that she's in. So yeah, I fit. And oh yeah, and then we have Cynthia Bailey's wedding coming up. 
which will also yeah. be like face shields a go-go. So yes, I am. <laughs> I'm liking this season. I would give it so far a seven out of 10. Yeah, and I think it's funny because because Jersey has only just kind of come back and you could even tell they probably started filming a bit later. It just makes you realize how much, and you've said this quite a bit today, like the group dynamic and seeing the women together is so crucial. And Atlanta, God loved them. They were clearly trying to go, well, we can get two or three people to film here and two people here and it'll make sense. It's like, no, we need the group together yeah. because it's the group where this show really shines. It's an ensemble. You're right. Maybe that's what I'm picking up on. That's this. And, you know, OC had a terrible season. Again, watched every episode, but they were really filming. (laughs) They were really filming both through, through the pandemic and just as things were opening up and, and they, they'd introduced a new cast member and it just didn't work. It was so disjointed is what it felt like. I'm really enjoying, uh, Dallas in a way that I didn't think that I would. That's interesting. Why Why is that? I'm enjoying it exclusively for Dr. Tiffany Moon. Yes, I think same. she is a breath of fresh. She is brilliant. She is a an, a working anaesthetist who has a proper job that where she saves lives. She's the mother of twins. She's just this like phenomenal superwoman who has come in and, and being lobbed like a hand grenade into these group of women who've got <laughs> nothing better to do than than indulge in shamanic rituals taken by a man who used to do <laughs> Stephanie's hair extensions and drinking chilled tequila while on a road trip to a random bar that is peopled by men in beards. Like these women, these other women don't have proper jobs. And suddenly you've got Tiffany Moon, who's this like unbelievable powerhouse and they don't know what to do with her. They don't know what to do with her. And it's, some of it is is kind of uncomfortable because it feels like some of it is almost subconscious racism on the part of these other white women. And also it's a sort of uh, misunderstanding of someone's life and who they are that translates as almost bullying. But the brilliant thing about Dr. Tiffany is that she is so strong and she calls things out when she sees them. And I'm really enjoying her ultimately schooling all of these stupid women so so that's why I'm enjoying this season yeah and it's funny because I feel very similar and I think Dallas much like Atlanta at first suffered because until they had them all in a group doing group activities it wasn't really flying and I think you're right with Tiffany she is kind of in a way she's sort of elevating the whole cast because her experience is so different I do feel bad for her in the sense that we're seeing her as you say kind of be bullied and a bit misunderstood and I do think the show might have benefited from casting someone who not necessarily from the same field but someone with a similar kind of high-flying job and maybe two women with that kind of energy because you can see Stephanie wants to sort of be in that place and she's trying to break out from her current role with her husband but the rest of the women are like sometimes Dallas is fun because it's poop jokes and silliness and there's a, a goofiness that the other shows don't have but also now because Tiffany's on such a different vibe I'm kind of like you guys cannot get drunk like teenagers it needs yeah. to have a little, little light and shade to it as well as the drunken antics which we obviously love I just like sometimes I watch a show like Summer House or um, The Real Housewives of Atlanta like I don't understand how they can drink so much and be so like vibrant with what must yeah. be horrendous hangovers. I just don't yeah, get true. it. I really don't. I'm like, I'm sort of marveling at the fact that they have that capacity. And then you're like, yes, 
Tiffany Moon has to get up at 5am and go and work in a hospital. So yeah, she doesn't want to be sinking tequila and jumping into a swimming pool at 1am because it's your birthday. Why is that so hard to get your head around? It's so weird. And it's also funny because, you know, you can see it's a classic reality TV trope of someone learning how to be vulnerable. And it is actually quite rewarding to see Tiffany slowly but surely say, I want to work one less day a week and Mm -hmm. I want to try and get to know these women, even though they, as you say, they are making it difficult for her. So I, I do. I really root for Dr. Tiffany Moon. And I feel like they could slowly but surely bring in people who have similar experience to her. And it might give Dallas a little bit of a a tone shift that just just evolve into something a bit different even there are funny moments to it and I love Deandra Mama D I could watch all day I meant to kind of ask you a little bit like obviously you and I are long-term fans but there has been in the last year this explosion of interest in Housewives on this side of the world because of Netflix getting some seasons Mm. if someone had say maybe watched Beverly Hills on Netflix and wanted to like dip into other shows or seasons are there places that you would send them as a newbie I mean 100% New York for me the Real Housewives of New York is one of the greatest franchises of all time and genuinely start at the beginning and just work your way through I re-watched them all during lockdown and it really like paid off like I can highly recommend just a big old rewatch of early seasons because then you get to see the entirety of a character arc but I don't know about you Connor like I feel a bit like that person who's been raving about a little known indie band (laughs) for many many years yeah and suddenly the indie bands like got 50 million downloads on Spotify and everyone's like oh that's so great and I'm like I've been telling you this was so for decades but yeah I would suggest starting with New York and then Atlanta I think I think the early seasons of Atlanta are great um and Beverly Hills you probably yes if someone's already seen that on Netflix then you don't need to go there again actually like New Jersey is is really different isn't it from the other franchises it and is. it takes a while to like get your head around the fact that it's it's different and it, there's quite a lot of like old Sicilian families table flipping <laughs> but once yes. you've got your head around that you're like oh I see I'm watching a reality tv version of the godfather great then it's then it's really good it's you know and that's the thing where even the current seasons of Jersey which have been really good the last few seasons you realize like the men on the show have much more screen time like yes. it's much more about family like I joke I mean I jokingly said this to friends I was like this is the most heterosexual show I've ever watched like it is a very much a show about couples and families I mean it's interesting for that but it, it it's funny because actually speaking of housewives articles and things like that you were quoted in a piece in the Guardian a few years ago where I can't remember the author of it who had written like about how each city had a different flavor and I think Jersey is a great example of contrast New Jersey with New York and it's like they're so different in what they cover even though they're under the same housewives you umbrella definitely and I, I and I get a real sense of how this again this is just getting very highfalutin but how landscape <laughs> how landscape kind of affects how people behave so it's like you get a real sense of sort of American geography and like the differences of the actual cities that they're filming in so I've got you know I'm terrible at geography I never did it for GCSE but I've got a a, a real concept now of what Atlanta's like and um, what New Jersey's like and the differences between the two and Atlanta being this hub of black excellence and there are loads of houses around a lake (laughs) and famous for peaches. Like (laughs) These are, you know, esoteric bits of trivia that are going to serve me very, very well in any pub quiz. So it's also an educational experience. (laughs) 
I was just going to say when we're allowed to do podcasts again, you'd be like, oh, the roundabout American geography. I yeah, can definitely bluff it. my way through this. <laughs> um, you know, I love that you mentioned the kind of, um, I'm like so glad people are watching, but I do have a slight resentment of, I've been saying this for years, but welcome. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's Thanks so for real. turning up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But obviously as long-term fans, we think about this a lot and we see it every season with the taglines changing, coming and going. If you got the call tomorrow that said, Elizabeth Day, you're up, you're on Real Housewives, what would your tagline be and why? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Okay, <clears throat> wait, I'm trying to think. They call me Day... But I come alive at night. Oh, that's good. Do you think for oh, a first season very... one, like that's just a sort of generic, that would be my first season one. Yeah, I feel like too, I feel like how to fail, like would oh, yeah. lend itself to a tagline. Like I'm known for how to fail, but what I'm really about is success and love. Yes, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I you wanted to add in love at the end. I, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I'm like, I'm honest when I fail and I mean, or something like, I don't know. I like. I feel like something like I'm open about failure, but I'm more even more about my success or something like yeah, that. No, like just, I've got it. I've got it. I'm open okay. about failure, but I shout about my success. Yes, that's very good. That's very Bethany. <laughs> that's got a Bethany energy to it. <laughs> and then I that would be that. my first season one. But then I'd and then I'd have a catchphrase from the end of the first season, and then I'd riff on that for the second season. I think that would be I my feel plan. like your catchphrase. Yeah, it'd be kind of like Jim Run 30 Rock when Liz ended up at a talk show where she was like, that's a deal breaker, ladies. I feel like you'd have like a witty, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 I made it nice. You'd have your own version of that, oh, for sure. Oh, I made it nice. Oh, Dorinda. Oh my God, I'm so desperate to go to Dorinda's house in the Berkshires. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh my God, why doesn't she, like genuinely, why doesn't she Airbnb that? Even if she wasn't there, <laughs> I would pay through the nose. I would be like, I'll remortgage my house to go to the to yeah. an Airbnb there. Uh, and also Sonia should Airbnb her townhouse because I would pay a lot of money to go there. And I wouldn't mind about like the dog hair, the kind of the dog <laughs> poop in the garden, like her reading glasses <laughs> strewn across the unmade beds. Like, leave it all. Leave the Morgan letters for me. Leave that basement filled with your old clothes from your old life. I want it all. It's the only time you'd want it to be messy and disgusting because that would tell the story. That's like it's like a museum. Yes, and I just want the toaster oven. I don't want any other any other kitchen appliances. <laughs> just the toaster oven. <laughs> Like every meal is just the Sonia Morgan toes, yeah. right? Breakfast, dinner, lunch, snacks, whatever. Uh, and just wearing exclusively Sonia Morgan clothes from Century 21. Is that, <laughs> was it from, were they in Target now? I don't know. Anyway, they look quite good, her clothes. And the mad thing was, we were watching that on the show and then like in real time because of the pandemic, that chain closed down. And I was like, this is so weird. <laughs> like only on Housewives could that happen. <laughs> Um, obviously I love to ask guests that tagline question but another thing I love to ask and I have a feeling you're not going to mess around with this question is you're having a dinner party tomorrow you can invite five people either real housewives friends of husbands characters from the housewives universe like our version of the Marvel universe basically what five people are you inviting and why Bethany Frankel definitely because I think she's incredibly smart and funny and would be a good dinner party guest. No matter what you think of some of her more outrageous statements, I just know that she'd be really good value. And I'd also just really like to ask her about how she managed to build an empire 
from like a single brand mm. from Skinny Girl. Also, I love Skinny Girl Margarita Mix. It's unbelievable. So I'd, I'd hope that she would bring some of that. So I had it once and, di- and didn't love it. I had it once in New York and was not mad about it, but it was at a house party. So I'm like, it probably wasn't the place to be really trying this beverage out. Interesting. Perhaps you came with too much expectation. I came thinking like, <laughs> this is going to... <laughs> I, like, I bought it thinking this is going to be shit, but I'm buying it because it's funny. And then I drank it and I was like, oh, not too bad. And actually I was in LA and I was drinking it in LA. And so LA just always makes everything better. But there was one night where we had an Airbnb with a hot tub and I was drinking skinny girl margaritas in the hot tub. And I had no idea that when you drink alcohol in a hot tub, you get very, very drunk very, very quickly because I think it's something about the dehydration. <laughs> yes, and I, out, and I was like, honestly, I was like, I felt high for about for two good hours after that. Um, okay, so Bethany <laughs> would be there. <laughs> Dr. Wendy would be there because, again, I just think she is a great conversationalist and has interesting things to say. And she strikes me as a fellow tall woman. And I think she dresses beautifully for her height. So I'd like her there. And And Meredith Marks, obviously. Of course. Just because she and I are really tight. And um, Elizabeth, it's so good to I see you. Do, yes. We do look alike. Love yes. it, love Seth, it. Love Seth it. sends his love. <laughs> now, I'm not going to invite Seth, but I will ask Meredith for us to FaceTime Seth. Yes. During yes. the night. Like, yeah. the re- yeah. like the reunion. He can appear in a screen behind you. <laughs> exactly. I want Lisa Rinna there because she would give great gossip and she'd also be the one to get the dancing started. God, only five yeah. is really hard. Only five is so hard. Yeah. Well, you're allowed, like, I mean, we can throw in one or two more if there's people you want to talk about. It's not a hard and fast rule. Okay. I, in terms of house husbands, now, I really love Maurizio, but I don't think I'm going to invite him to the dinner because I want someone who's kind of um, a bit, a bit of a stirrer and who's funny. And I recently have developed a fondness for PK from Beverly Hills. (sighs) Yes, Ooh, because that's tough. That's tough, <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I, I could <laughs> tell you were, you were you were trying to lead me into that. I was like, who is she going to say? I was like, oh. <laughs> because I've been following him on Instagram. And actually, he's genuinely funny on Instagram. He's genuinely okay. funny. And also British. So there'd be that. Like, so we'd automatically like, have, a, have a bond over that. So I think those five to start with. Oh gosh, but you know, I mean, a Luann. I, I, I just, I'd love Luann. Maybe she could do the after dinner cabaret entertainment. I was going to say, and that's a perfect way to integrate Luann into the second half of the evening. Exactly. So I'll have Luann doing the cabaret. And actually, maybe I could have Bethany, but as the chef. So that frees up a guest space. <laughs> so now I'm thinking, uh, who else? I don't want Erica Jane anymore. I used to love Erica Jane, but again, she's just gone a bit. She's just a bit. It's the legal. It's the fact that she and Tom have split up. I'm just. I'm so sad that they've split up, <laughs> and and then she's just been posting all of these like just really over the top things on Instagram. I'm like, I don't need to see your buttock crack again. I just don't like. I. <laughs> I come with, I come in peace, but I don't need to see that. It's it's weird because I am like, people joke that I'm like an Erica Jane apologist. And even now with the Instagram, I'm like, Erica, like Too this much. is a very pertinent time for you. So it's like, 
if we're going to use Instagram to drop hints, it needs to be more subtle than 16 different Savage Fenty shoots in a week, which she looks amazing, obviously. But it's like, we know there's more to you, sis. Let's let's just vary it up a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. She's more substantial than her Instagram is making her, is what I think. That's very true. I mean, I'm still so excited to see how they handle all this on the show because there's just so much to cover with her now. I know. I think actually I might, I might have Dr. Tiffany Moon as my final guest okay yeah two doctors that's a very highfalutin dinner i like well exactly because we all have aspirations you know housewives is more than just sitting in a gated community making yourself fresh lemonade it's actually about very empowered women um god that's a difficult that's that (laughs) question has i'm going to be thinking about that for the rest of the day being like oh my gosh i can't believe i didn't say x I know, and everybody comes comes at that with so some people are like, right, who I do I want to get drunk with? I've had people like really go, for a dinner party, you really want someone who can do X. It's like, it's really, I yeah. feel like this could be a game you play with friends where you go around the table and go, who would you have? But anyway, that's- Also, can I, can I, I have a request, which is that the dinner will take place on a below deck yacht. And okay. <laughs> it will be, I would like Ben to be the chef. I would like Kate Chastain to be the chief stew. Um, I'd like Courtney on there, Courtney Skippen. She and I have become friends over Instagram. I don't know if you remember her from a couple of seasons of Below Deck. She was basically the one who was feminist and stood up for the rights of women <laughs> amongst these like boorish, misogynist deckies. And um, Captain Lee. Oh, maybe I want Captain Sandy. Anyway, I want it on the Below <laughs> Deck yacht because I think that would be a really fun experience. So you basically are trying to integrate all the Bravo yes. shows. So that, and then yes. at the end, you all get off the boat and go to the summer house for aperitif. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. And if we can throw in Kim Kardashian, I just really <laughs> want to get the inside scoop on everything that's going on there. <laughs> just a reality TV mashup of excellence. Okay, that sounds like the dream dinner party. Is this a bad time to say I still haven't watched Below Deck? I feel like I'm going to be pilloried for whatever the word is for saying that. No, it's fine. I mean, I, to be honest, there are only so many hours in the day, but I choose to spend all of my spare hours watching reality television so that's why and and also I'm sure I'm older than you so I've had more years on this planet in which to do that but I I really enjoy Below Deck it's quite hit and miss it really lives and dies according to its cast and the thing Mm. about Below Deck is that there's only a handful of returning members but the thing that i find very interesting about it is that it is like upstairs downstairs it's basically like downton abbey on an ocean because you get all of these like rich awful people (laughs) coming for a charter and you follow their stories but then you follow the stories of the people who are serving them and making their charter a nice experience so the chef the chief stew like all of and that's that dynamic is really fascinating but it kind of depends on whether they're all good or bad at their jobs. Um, but I think it's definitely worth it. Start with Below Deck Original, not Below Deck Med would be my top tip. Thank you. I've actually, I've been trying to figure that out myself because when you're new to like, I can get why people are a bit intimidated even by Housewives because when there's so many spin-offs and things, you're like, but where do I even exactly. begin? So that is a solid advice. Thank you. Now you said there, like you spend your spare time watching reality TV, but... To me, it seems like you don't have a lot of spare time because you have a lot going on. Um, I do want to ask you, you have a new book coming out in September called Magpie. Can you tell us anything about what it's about or what to expect from that book? It's essentially a tribute to Real Housewives. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not really. It's a book about the Real Housewives, yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so much for asking me about it. So it's a, stu- it's a book that I wrote 
almost all of during the first national lockdown over here. And so I think that there is like a feverish quality to the prose where I just had to be able to get stuff down on the page. And it's about obsession, envy, dysfunctional motherhood and what happens when you get what you think you want but it turns out to be very far from what you actually need and the reason that I'm talking in quite vague terms is because there's a twist in it so I can't give away too much because I'm someone who loves a twist in books in drama and I hate it being given away so I don't want to give that away to anyone but I hope that it's like a thrilling uh, unexpected and slightly sinister read. That's Magpie. So that's the new book. It's out in September. Can we pre-order that now? Is that available to pre-order? Yes, you can pre-order it now. You're so kind and it like massively helps authors if people feel like doing that. So thank you for pointing that out. And uh, I've seen the cover. The cover is like absolutely amazing, but I haven't revealed it yet. So it, it will be revealing the cover over the next few weeks but I have to say oh, that's exciting I for your Irish listeners specifically I I actually grew up in the north of Ireland and I have mm-hmm. always felt so incredibly welcomed as a writer in Ireland I have such enormous respect for Ireland's cultural heritage and I've had some of the best nights of my life in Dublin and I cannot wait for this pandemic to be over and to be back there because I just think it's a fantastic country and I'm so grateful for the support that I've received. Like I feel like Ireland was the first place that took me seriously as an author and I will never forget that. So thank you very much specifically to your Irish listeners. Oh, that's lovely. Which also means when you're here for press again in Dublin, you're you're almost legally required to meet me for at least half oh. an hour for more housewives chat. Like it's required. Hold on, right? half an hour. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna be staying with you, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna Airbnb. I'm like, well, I'm gonna turn my home into a bluestone manor knockoff, and you can stay oh, as long as you want. Bliss. Thank you. And if before we go, obviously people can pre-order the new book, but you know, you're on social media as mentioned when you shouting out housewives and all that good stuff. Where can people find you? And if people want to check out how to fail, where can they do that so on social media i'm eliza b day um that's e-l-i-z-a-b-d-a-y some people find that very confusing (laughs) (laughs) Um, and then how to fail the podcast is available on apple podcasts and spotify and you just search for how to fail and i will pop up as will my hand-drawn logo of a how to fail rosette so i'd really love to see some of you there and i will try my hardest to get a bona fide housewife as a future guest yeah because we're crossing fingers for Lisa Vanderpump but I think Dr. Wendy could be good I think Dr. Tiffany Bethany will be good too I mean I think there's Bethany on housewives and Bethany sometimes on social media and they're two different people but she would be a great interview she would be a great interview wouldn't she and also because she's got her own podcast now maybe she'd be more willing okay I'm going to try and put in a request. I think that's the hook. Yeah, be like, for one huge successful podcast, which another Bethany, you can start the email with that. I mean, I I love your skinny girl margaritas. (laughs) (laughs) I was in a hot tub one, Bethany. You know what? We'll get into that later. (laughs) All right, listen, Elizabeth Day, it has been a pleasure. I really appreciate you taking the time uh, for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on Housewives and Me. Thank you so much, Connor, for having me and for doing such great and important work. I love this podcast and I have loved this last hour of chat. Thank you so much. Oh my God, that is the best comment I've ever gotten as a podcast. Oh, (laughs) you're so sweet. Thank you so much. What a joy. What a lovely way to start my Friday.
That was Elizabeth Day on Housewives and Me. Her new novel, Magpie, is out this September. I will pop a pre-order link to that in the show notes for this episode. So if you were thinking of checking it out, and I would just say in general, if you are into a writer or curious about a new book that's coming out and you really want to read it, pre-orders are a great way to say to publishers, hey, I'm a fan of this person and I'm excited to read this. And it's great for supporting books and authors that you might be into. And, you know, if you can support local independent bookshops when you pre-order, that's worth trying as well. If you enjoyed this week's episode and you're listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate a rating or a review. It helps so much with the algorithm and getting word there out there about the show. You can subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and never miss a new episode. They come out every single Tuesday. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Housewives of Me. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Connor Bean as well. Links to all that are also in the show notes. So until next time, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to this week's guest, Elizabeth Day. Stay safe and I'll talk to you soon.